Our Old Testament lesson comes from Isaiah, chapter 29, verses 13 through 20. Isaiah 29, beginning with verse 13. Hear the word of the Lord. And the Lord said, because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Therefore, behold, I will again do wonderful things with this people, with wonder upon wonder, and the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden. Ah, you who hide deep from the Lord your counsel, whose deeds are in the dark, and who say, who sees us, who knows us, you turn things upside down. Shall the potter be regarded as the clay, that the thing made should say of its maker, he did not make us, or the thing formed say of him who formed it, he has no understanding. Is it not yet a very little while until Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field, and the fruitful field shall be regarded as a forest? In that day, the deaf shall hear the words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see. The meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord, and the poor among mankind shall exult in the Holy One of Israel. For the ruthless shall come to nothing, and the scoffer cease, and all who watched do evil shall be cut off. Now we turn to our passage in Matthew, Matthew chapter 12, our passage begins in chapter 12, verse 9, but for context, I'd like to read for you from beginning with verse 5, Matthew chapter 12, verse 5. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. He said to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all. This ends the reading of God's holy word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. Let us pray. Almighty God, we have given us your word and you preserved it throughout all these ages. We just sang a psalm, O Lord, composed 3,000 years ago, and it was still uh, perfectly 
in our lips because you preserved it for us. We thank you, O Lord, for the word of God. We pray that our meditations and the words of my mouth might be pleasing in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the drill instructor takes out a big roll of tape and puts a line on the floor. Of course, we call it a deck, where I'm from. Puts a line in the deck, and he says, line up here and don't cross that line. So what does she do except take off her boots and stand on the line, and both big toes are over the line? That's one person. But then somebody else takes out his own roll of tape and a foot back from the line puts his own line out and says, I'm just going to stand here so I don't cross that line. He makes his own line. And then he, and then he tells everybody with an earshot, how about that? <laughs> how about that? Pretty good, huh? Pretty smart. It's kind of like the Pharisees with the law. They, they want to show, oh, I've got this down. I can do this. I can create lines like nobody's business, and I'm going to put them where I want and really show that I can keep this law. I can keep it perfectly. And look at me here. Well, here we are, brothers and sisters, the second passage in Matthew 12 dealing with the Sabbath. The first one is Matthew 12, 1 through 8, which we saw uh, two weeks ago. And in verse 8, we saw uh, that this uh, statement in verse 8 should be rendered as, for the, the Lord of the Sabbath is the Son of Man. Or even better... The Son of Man is the Lord, even over the Sabbath. This is how that is communicated here. And our Lord Jesus Christ is telling this same group, because it was the Pharisees he was interacting with earlier in the chapter. Now, in chapter 12, verses 9 and following, he's talking to this same group as the Lord even over the Sabbath, which is what he told them who he is. And they didn't believe him. Now, we're not really sure which synagogue this is. If you look at Matthew 12, 9, he went on from there and entered their synagogue. Well, it's somewhere in northern part of Galilee near Capernaum. This, this we do know because later in chapter 13, we find that he's by the sea, and that's the sea, big lake of Galilee. Uh, and so this is the second encounter with these Pharisees. But the title of this message, uh, and I can't tell you that I spend a lot of time on these titles, because they're going to go in one ear and out the other, but hardness hardens. Uh, I really want you to hear the message of this text, not the title. But these people, their, their hard, hardness of heart is hardening. In this case, it's a title that does help you see 
This is where Matthew's taken us. There's a steady march of the hardening of the hearts of of Jesus' opponents here. And Jesus has already seen the people of God and declared that they are like sheep without a shepherd. They are, quote-unquote, Matthew 9, 36, harassed and helpless. And these are the sheep over whom the Pharisees have charge. And Jesus sees them harassed and helpless. So he goes into the synagogue. Let's look at the synagogue and what's going on here. First of all, he's going into the synagogue as the Lord of the Sabbath. This is, this is a meeting on the Sabbath day, and the Lord of the Sabbath goes in to meet with his people. Sound familiar? Call to worship today? The Lord Jesus being here in the Spirit with you today? This is not a, what Jesus is doing here is not, not unique. This is where you can expect to find him. You expect to find the shepherd with his sheep who are precious to him. This is where Jesus is. He's in the synagogue, of course. That's where his sheep are. And he sees his sheep need his presence, so that's where he is. It's the Lord who is our shepherd, Psalm 23. And where the sheep are, there he is, because he wants fellowship with him, healing and compassion flowing from him upon his people. And then he, he gets this question from the Pharisees, and notice his response. It's interesting, when, it, when you look at this, it says, verse 11, he gives this analogy, which one of you who has a sheep? I actually think you can render that, which one of you has one sheep? You can see that already. But you see, this is, this is not an owner of a flock. This is a man who has one sheep. <laughs> and if that sheep falls into a pit, his whole herd is falling into the pit because he's got one sheep. This is how Jesus regards you. You are his one sheep. You are the one he looks after as if you were the only one he looks after. This is how he regards his people. You are precious in his sight. You are his as if you are the only one he has. That's what Jesus is saying here. This is, this is what any shepherd and owner of the sheep would do, obviously. And if it happens on the Sabbath, well, of course, you're going you're to take care of them because this is a sheep who's fallen into a pit. This is not a ditch along the road. This is not something they can climb out of. It's a pit. Uh, you can't climb out of a pit. Matthew 15, 14. Let them alone, Jesus says regarding the Pharisees. Matthew 15, verse 14. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind both of them will fall into a pit. Or listen to this from Isaiah 24. Then it will be that he who flees the report of disaster will fall into a pit. And he who climbs out of the pit will be caught in the snare. This, of course, is talking about judgment. Now, I have to tell you, I don't like the idea of falling into a pit. 
<laughs> it's just, maybe it's just me. <laughs> I don't know about you. You can say, eh, eh, no big deal. But to me, it's kind of scary. My neighbor, where we used to live, had a hand-dug well. Uh, I don't know how deep it was. It did have a cover, and I had an opportunity to go look at it, but frankly, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't want to get too close to that thing. The idea of falling into that hand-dug well uh, was kind of scary, frankly. Um, this is falling into a pit. It's scary. It's dark, and you can't get out. It's not good. This sheep falls into a pit, needs rescue soon. Because I imagine sheep are even a little more timid than I am. Maybe I could figure out how to climb out, but sheep can't. They don't have, you know, they can't grip anything. So, brothers and sisters, the shepherd cares for his sheep. He doesn't wait until the next day. Oh, it's a Sabbath. I'm sorry, I can't help you. He goes immediately to rescue his sheep. This is... This is how Jesus regards this man that he sees in the synagogue. This is, this is one of my sheep. Of course I'm going to rescue him on the Lord's Day, on Sabbath. It's interesting this man is in the synagogue. He's, he's not ignoring the Lord. He's gone to the synagogue to worship God, to hear his word and to be uh, praising the Lord with his people. He hasn't given up on God, even though he has this disability. And you know, we think, yeah, he's got a withered hand. His arm is probably shrunken. And, uh, you know, there's something added to this. I want you to look at John 9 sometime. John 9. It's, it's one of my favorite passages in John 9. I'll tell you why later. Maybe I'll preach a sermon. It's just, it's a beautiful passage. Really, really incredible and rich. But this is a place where you have a man born blind. And the disciples say, which, which, uh, who sinned, this guy or his parents, that he's born blind? See, it's got to be one of those two. Somebody sinned, the parents or the man, that he's born blind. Now think about it. Man's born blind, how could he sin? They don't believe in reincarnation, but somehow he sinned. I, I suggest to you, it's at least possible, this man with this withered hand, he may have heard that all of his life. Who sinned, your parents or you, that you have an arm like that? And you know, this is not a minor thing in, in that world. This is a fishing area. And they didn't fish with rod and reel, they fished with nets. And you got to pull these big heavy nets uh, either, you know, with a crew normally, there are different ways, different kinds of nets, but uh, all of them and, uh, required a lot of strength and dexterity to pull these nets full of fish out of the water. And so this guy, you know, how can he take care of his family with that kind of disability? It's a serious thing to have this uh, disability, not least of which the social stigma and people looking down on him as a rank sinner. He's in the synagogue, though. He didn't give up on the Lord, despite all this stuff. He's still in the synagogue to meet with God. And that that's, shows that Jesus is he's looking after his sheep, 
the people of God. Well, then you have the Pharisees. They're in the synagogue too. It's interesting, uh, verse 9, he entered their synagogue. Who's there? Their synagogue. Who is that? Well, he's been talking to the Pharisees. So he entered the synagogue of the Pharisees. And we know this of the Pharisees. They were most powerful in the synagogues outside Jerusalem, even in other countries, but particularly in the area we're talking about in Galilee, north of Jerusalem. They were very powerful in the synagogues. If you want to see that, look again at John 9. The Pharisees are questioning, they're actually interrogating the parents of the man born blind after Jesus heals him and saying, was this your son? How can he be seeing now if he's born blind? He wasn't born blind, is he? You're lying to us. And the parents are really nervous, if you look at that text, because it says they were afraid of the Pharisees because they would be put out of the synagogue. They would, uh, it's kind of a funny term, but it mean they would be ejected from the synagogue and they wouldn't be able to go to the synagogue. They wouldn't be able to meet. Uh, locally with the people of God anymore. And the Pharisees controlled that. So this is their synagogue. And our courageous Savior, he goes into this synagogue. And here's, here's the Pharisees. Here they have this authority. And Jesus acknowledges it. Later in Matthew chapter 23, he says, the Pharisees and the scribes, they sit on Moses' seat. Okay? They have authority. They're, it's not set up by the Bible, but they've, they've got a certain authority. And Jesus says, do as they tell you, but don't do what they do. That's Matthew 23. They put heavy burdens on people and don't lift a finger to carry the burden. They want you to toe the line. And they got their own line that's easy. It's easy for them. And they can trumpet their own righteousness. That they want you to do more. That's, that's what we have with the Pharisees here. And compare that to Jesus. You take my yoke on you. It's, it's light. The burden is easy to carry because behind it is the rest that I give you. You carry the burden, the yoke of Christ. It's a yoke of rest and relief from burdens. It's kind of ironic, isn't it? Well, now we have the questions and response. The first one is the question of these Pharisees to Jesus. It opens up. There's a man there, and they asked him, the Pharisees, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? It's interesting. They provoke Jesus with this question. And then Matthew tells us what we probably could discern, but he tells us outright, so that they might accuse him. You see, this is not a serious question. This is the kind of question that teachers in a classroom get all the time. It's not a serious question. The student really just wants to pronounce something, don't they, Mr. Professors? Uh, the student really is taking the opportunity to get on a soapbox. And the question is really their own idea, isn't it? Uh, and kind of provoking uh, the teacher. Well, that's what's happening here. This is really not a serious question. They don't really want to know this. They already have their, their own line that they know is the right thing to do. Uh, they don't really care what Jesus says. 
It's interesting when it says they asked him. This word for ask is kind of a, a stronger term than you'd expect here. It, actually, it can be rendered demand. They demanded of him. Or it can even be rendered interrogate. So demand is Matthew 16.1. Same term is used. Matthew 16.1. They demand a sign. Or Matthew 27.11. They uh, question closely. A judge who questions closely. This is Jesus being interrogated. Or John 9 again. It actually appears twice in John 9 where the Pharisees are questioning the parents of the man born blind. Sounds like I should preach on that passage sometime pretty soon. But here it is, the same term. These people are not asking a mild question. It's a confrontational question. They're demanding of him. They're really, they're really interrogating Jesus. They're, look, at, look at who have become the lords here. Jesus is the Lord even over the Sabbath. And here he walks into their synagogues and these Pharisees, they're acting like lords. They're acting like judges of Jesus. They're putting him to the test. Has God really said that? What do you think you're doing on the Sabbath? You say you're the Lord of the Sabbath. Give us a sign of that. Well, well, the Pharisees, before Jesus does anything, are proving that they're hirelings and not owners of the sheep. Looking at John 10, they're shepherds who are happy to fleece the sheep and to feast on the lambs from Ezekiel 34. They show that they really don't have any concern about this man. All they are interested in here is not whether the guy is healed or not. It's interesting, isn't it? I want you to think about what they ask him. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? What are they assuming here? They're assuming that Jesus can heal this guy, right? Otherwise, this question makes no sense. They know he can heal this guy. Their question assumes it. Is it lawful to heal this guy? They know he can do it. And they don't care. They do not care whether he can heal or not. You know, Jesus, our Savior, he, he's not daunted by these guys. He's a valiant warrior. He's full of courage. He goes into their den, and he, he looks at them. He, he's very mild in his response. Well, what if you just had one sheep that fell into a pit? I want you to think about that. But frankly, he's talking to the rest of us, these people that don't care. Nevertheless, he's telling us his attitude. And so what does Jesus say? After they ask this question, he just says one thing. After, you know, telling the analogy, the sheep uh, falls into pit. He says one thing, stretch out your hand. <laughs> stretch out your hand. He doesn't pray. He doesn't have any incantation. 
There's no magic formula. Certain mushrooms might help. Any salve that can restore the arm? He, he says, stretch out your hand with a word, like a creator. Like the one who, in the beginning, created the heavens and the earth and rested on the seventh day. The Lord. He says, stretch out your hand. And the man did, and he was healed. And his arm was restored like the other one. And so the Pharisees rejoice. They see the sign that they're asking for. He heals the man, and they say, hurrah, one of the Lord's own is healed, and he now can, his life has changed. This is great. Look at this miracle. No, they don't do that at all, do they? Brothers and sisters, they don't care about that man. They don't care. These are the shepherds of Israel. They don't care about the sheep. This is why the shepherds are harassed. I beg your pardon, the sheep are harassed. This is the kind of shepherds they're dealing with. You want to know what these men are like? These Pharisees? Psalm 5. Not one word they say is true. From their heart, destruction comes, and their throats are open graves. We just sang about these people. This is, this is what you're looking at here. If, if you want to know what you're singing about in Psalm 5, it's this sort of thing right here. So what did they do? They took counsel and conspired to destroy Jesus. This is the first time we've heard this in the gospel. This is why things are picking up in the gospel of Matthew. Now we're moving into new territory. Now the opponents of Jesus are not just going to say nasty things about him. They're going to start plotting and planning to destroy him. So they're making a council, a secret council, that they will destroy Jesus for doing this one good work. Not one word they say is true. Men who murder and deceive. That's in verse 2 of Psalm 5 that we sing. Our Savior, though, that one sheep that he owns, you, that one sheep that he owns, he knew it would cost his life. And he went in anyway. And he went in to deliver you from the pit. And it wasn't that hand dug well that is so scary to me. It is death itself. Go down to the pit of Sheol, to the grave. One of my favorite passages, and you're going to hear this from me a lot, maybe it's because I'm getting older, I think about it, is in Isaiah, where the Lord says to his people, come, my people, hide in your bedchambers for a little while so that the wrath may pass over you. The bedchamber is your grave, Christian. For you, the grave is not a place of condemnation and wrath. For you, the grave is a place of protection from wrath, that the wrath may pass over you while you're hidden in your bedchamber waiting for the resurrection from the dead because our Savior 
has risen from the dead, and you will too. This is our hope. Can you do good on the Sabbath, on the Lord's Day? Seems kind of obvious, right? Make phone calls to brothers and sisters who are at home. Visit them. Oh, I, I can only drive 10 miles on the Lord's Day. No, no. <laughs> Jesus shows. Showing love and mercy on the Lord's Day is exactly what we can do. It's a day for that. It's a day of rejoicing and serving the Lord in freedom that we may demonstrate that we are followers of our Savior who did good on the Sabbath. He showed the mercy of God freely. And he was not daunted by lines that people draw on the floor. He is uh, giving us an example of how we should be and how we should not be. We should not be Pharisees with the law. We love the law. It is a light upon our path. And I'm not teaching that you should ignore the law of God. Quite the contrary. The law of God for us is actually taught to us by our Savior right here. Uh, should you do good on the Sabbath? Yeah. There's the law to us. Should you... Uh, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. There's the law to us. Demonstrate the mercy of God to people. This is what we do on the Lord's Day. So, brothers and sisters, this is a very rich passage where our Savior demonstrates the foundation of our freedom in him to do good and to live our lives in freedom from the shackles of human traditions that may bind us from doing what is right on the Lord's Day. Yeah, we're not you know, doing our own will and ignoring our, the worship of the Lord. No, I'm talking about other things like this. Notice Jesus went into the synagogue for the worship of God to perform this good act. This is the word of the Lord to us today. Amen. Let us pray. Our great shepherd and our great God, Thank you for the truths of this passage and for the word of God. We thank you for a great shepherd who has delivered us from the pit and given us hope and freedom and life uh, forevermore by his own uh, actions to rescue us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.